everyone, and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we will be comparing notes on the FX television show The Bear and the Three Bean Salad podcast. Warning, spoilers ahead. Oh, it's good to see you, Kat. It's good to see you too. Um... Yeah, this week felt like it took a million years, so... Didn't it? Yeah, we, like, recorded last week, right? I I think so, but subjectively, <laughs> it feels like an eternity has passed. I know! <laughs> what a long week. Yeah. Uh, how was your week, Remy? It was okay. I had, uh, like, a big presentation hanging over my head all week, which I never enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just had a lot of weird social anxiety. I I got invited to three Halloween parties, didn't go to a single one. I couldn't bear it. <laughs> That's so <laughs> I had to like though. I had to text last minute and be like, I am too anxious to be in public. I'm sorry, I will not be attending. <laughs> I I felt the exact same way. We had a happy hour on Tuesday and then we were supposed to get together for a game night yesterday. And I had also just gone to, like, the program um, bonfire the night before. And I was just like, oh, I can't. I've got to be a hermit. And so I stayed in yesterday. But, yeah, I just couldn't do it. And then Scott and I watched Barbarian on HBO last night. So that was super fun. He liked it a lot. We had a really good discussion. So, yeah, it was a good weekend. It was just very, like, social this week. And it all piled up. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, sorry. It's all right. I feel like I had a minor anecdote, but I don't remember anymore. Yeah. Was it about Barbarian? It was, actually. Oh, yeah. Good job. I watched it as Will was watching it this weekend. Oh fun because it came to HBO Max like you said Mm -hmm. and it was really fun watching it again because I could focus a lot more on the like technical side of things Mm -hmm. and one of the things I noticed was um how many really good camera movements there are yes like the zooming in on the phone or like panning like, there's a lot of really interesting pans that mm-hmm. follow people's movements, and mm-hmm. there's just something, there's many good camera movements and um, transitions between mm-hmm. different shots that I just thought were so fucking good. For sure. And, yeah, Will and I were watching it, and he was like, he was so pleased with Zach, with Zach's direction, mm-hmm. and he was so happy because he was a fan of his comedy work before Mm -hmm. and was like really stoked that the direction was so good so yeah yeah Yeah, that was fun I'm really excited to see what he puts out next because that Mm -hmm. was fantastic yeah yeah I saw a whole wave of new appreciation for it once it hit HBO Max Mm -hmm. so yeah I'm really glad yeah, it was definitely worth seeing in the theater, but oh, definitely. I'm I was really glad to be able to watch it again and um kind of when you're watching it in the theater, there are some moments where you're like, "Oh, I wish I could pause" or like, "I wish I could get a better view of that." And mm-hmm. when you watch it that second time, you notice a lot more, which I really liked. Yeah, plus I got to see the first 5 minutes this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you weren't missing too much. Yeah. Yeah, Will really liked Keith as well. He was really pleased that Bill Skarsgård finally got to be a nice guy. Yeah. It's funny because uh, obviously Scott didn't go into it fully blind. Like, we had had conversations about some things Mm -hmm. prior. And he kind of knew my feelings on Bill Skarsgård's character. And I was like, so yeah, I feel like one thing that I did ruin for you is that you knew that I really liked Bill Skarsgård. And he was like, until Bill Skarsgård gets killed, I was still convinced that he was going to be the bad guy. Like that's how we were talking about how well that character is written to bury the lead that he knew how much I love Bill Skarsgård's character. And he was like, I still think that this guy is Mm -hmm. the culprit. Yeah, the suspicion runs deep. Mm -hmm. Poor Bill. (laughs) He's so good. Um... Anything else, Remy, before we jump in? I think, I 
think that's all I had going on this week. So one thing that I did this weekend is that today I binged all of the episodes of The Bear. So that's why I'm talking about it today, because last night it was like 10 p.m. And I was like, we haven't exchanged topics and I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. (laughs) Priority number one this morning was figuring out what the heck I wanted to talk about. And this is a show that came out in June of 2022. And it wasn't on my radar initially. I kind of missed the initial hype over it. And then I was listening to a podcast where the two people on the podcast were like talking about how much they love the show. And it's not like a film review or movie review or podcast. It's just like a a conversationalist podcast. And they were talking about how much they love Jeremy Allen White's character. And Mm -hmm. uh, they were having a really interesting discussion about that. So I was like, oh, maybe I would like this. I, I didn't really even think about it before then, but... Um, so it's been on my list, like, to watch for a while, but I just got around to it today, and you've already seen the show, Remy, correct? Right. I watched it right when it came out, because mm-hmm. I experienced a lot of hype around it, like, yes. leading up to the release, and immediately after mm-hmm. it went out into the world, um, I heard a lot of rave things about it, so it's such a quick watch that I watched it very soon after it was available on Hulu. Yeah. It was written and directed by Christopher Storer, who has been involved on um, like movies like Eighth Grade, and mm-hmm. he also has been involved with directing some of the Bo Burnham comedy specials that have come out um, more recently. Not his most recent one, obviously, but... Um, I think it was Make Happy and What he mm-hmm. was involved with the direction on. So Interesting. Yeah. I like felt like I recognized the name but wasn't really sure where I had seen it before. Um, but I'm pretty sure that's where I've seen it. And it stars Jeremy Allen White as this main character, Carmi. And I guess just on like a surface level, I really enjoyed that it was set in Chicago. It like, I grew up in Illinois, I grew up kind of in the Chicago area, and so it was, like, really cool because they're, like, talking about how they're driving to Naperville, and then they're like, oh, no, mm-hmm. they live in this other suburb, and I was like, <laughs> I lived in Naperville, and um, it's rare for me to watch a, a TV show or film where I've, like, been to the places in yeah. the film. It's um, so fun, though, It's, it like, happens. such a different occurrence to, like, grow up in the Midwest, just because you're so far from everything else. And most TV shows and films are set on like in coastal cities and stuff like that. Or Mm -hmm. like, so it was really cool for me to be like, oh, I like recognize what they're talking about. And yeah, um, like my family all grew up in the city and they grew up in, in Chicago. So that was cool. And I... I really enjoyed that, and it resonated with me. And, oh, one note that I made is that it was renewed for its second season already, which everyone else probably knows, but I didn't. So I was very excited to learn that. So based on when this episode is coming out, this is only covering the content from season one. So the basic premise of the show is that Carmi is was living in New York City. He was working as a chef. And after Carmi's brother's death, um, he returns to Chicago to run his brother's restaurant, which he leaves to him in his will. And in general, he's like faced with this group of employees that were employed by his brother and um, his brother's friend, who is named Richie, And all of these employees that are already at the restaurant, they are very resistant to the changes that Carmi is trying to bring to the restaurant. So it's very much like trying to implement changes for the better of this very disorganized family restaurant and uh, seeing everyone slowly come on board to that new system and uh, to working under Carmi. And I really like this show because you see... Um, 
Carmi kind of overcoming the struggles of implementing this new system. And you also see all of these employees like grow as people and ignite new passions and start really enjoying the work that they're doing in a much different way than they had before. They like are taking so much pride in their work after a while. And I really loved the the very subtle and slow nature of those shifts, um, mm-hmm. especially for characters like Tina, yes. who is very, very resistant to that change at first. And then eventually she just like comes all the way over to the system. And mm-hmm. she has this really good conversation with Richie, who he's like, I don't like this. I'm still, he was still very resistant to all of the changes. And she was like, I really, I'm liking it. I think it's great. And he's like, I'm going to quit. And she's like, where are you going to go? Like, this is, Mm -hmm. we're all like family. And I thought that it was, it was just a really different fish out of water story. I felt like it was very strange to see someone, usually a fish out of water is someone who's like very incompetent, trying to get competent very quickly But this is a person that is competent and trying to change the system to be more competent. And I thought that that was a a really cool thing to play with. Yeah, because when it comes down to it, Carmi is overqualified for this position that he has inherited because a major aspect of his character is that he was a sous chef, I believe, in a a Michelin-starred establishment Mm -hmm. in New York City. I think he went to CIA for his training. Yes. He is very, like, kind of thoroughbred credentialed when it comes to, like, culinary training. Yes. And so for him to throw away that very successful career in order to take over his deceased brother's um, like sandwich shop, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's a, a huge step down for him career-wise, yeah. but that kind of just shows, you know, his extreme loyalty to his family, mm-hmm. that he's willing to make that transition. And I totally agree that, you know, when he first implements this sort of like French system of hierarchical kitchen organization where everyone says yes chef and there's a structure for how you communicate and date things and do everything so that it it functions correctly it's almost like everyone that is already working at the restaurant they don't want the structure imposed on them because they know it's this like fancy way of doing things Mm -hmm. and they want to do things the way they've always done them And I completely agree with you that the arc of them being won over is very excellently paced. Mm -hmm. And it's really satisfying when characters like Tina are ultimately, they become fans of, you know, operating within the system because they see, they can more readily see that the value of their contributions and Mm -hmm. the purpose of what they're doing at work. And they can see how much everyone in the team depends on one another to do good work and how they're indispensable because of that. And I do really love seeing that transition. For sure. Yeah, it's so good. Um, So I kind of separated my thoughts into two categories for this show. And the first thing I want to touch on is the show's narrative about mentorship, because I think that watching Carmi come into this, um, this mentorship role was really interesting because clearly he has been in the restaurant scene for a very long time now and he has never really played the role of head chef before. Like he's never played that like top dog running everything kind of role. Right. And so he's bound to make mistakes. But I really love that when Carmi does make mistakes, he takes accountability for his actions. He takes accountability for his words and acknowledges them very directly. But overall, I think he does a very good job at mentoring people, um, especially because working in a restaurant as someone who's never worked in a restaurant, but like the show does a very good job of making you feel the stress and that pace that a restaurant would mm-hmm. have. And I think that they attempted to do a lot of single takes for a lot of the the really stressful, high-intensity restaurant scenes. 
mm-hmm. um, to like amp up that that tension. Most notably, one episode was just one take. Wow. Um, I I forget. It was like I think the penultimate episode. It was seventeen minutes oh, long. Oh god, it was a single that take. It's the so one where stressful. everything goes to fucking shit. Like <sighs> yeah. even more than normal. Yeah, that one. My heart was racing. I think I had yeah. like my hands in my hair the whole time, and I was just sitting there. Yeah, what a good episode. Yeah, just since you brought up the mm-hmm. like hectic nature of all of the service scenes, I found those extremely effective and very uncomfortable because Mm -hmm. it reminded me of my time in the service industry both Mm -hmm. as like uh like front of house serving and back of house cooking Mm -hmm. and they really capture the desperate horrible sinking feeling of being in the weeds and not being able to claw your way out and just sinking further and further into the weeds and everyone around you is floundering and you're all just totally fucked and the receipt machine just keeps going yeah yeah i was watching it like because they that happens throughout the whole series Mm -hmm. it's not like that it's not just that one long take episode it Mm -hmm. it happens frequently and where they just show like really hectic busy service scenes and at first I was like I don't know if I can watch this show it's too real Mm -hmm. it's too (laughs) it's bringing up too many bad feelings and memories (laughs) And that's the general consensus that I can see online of, like, people who have worked in the service industry. They feel like, oh, God, I feel seen. Yeah. In terms of Carmi's mentorship, it's it's so satisfying to watch him interact with people like Sydney, who joins the, the restaurant as a stage. Um, so basically, it's like a working interview. She is working for very low pay for a few days to, like, let Carmi see how she cooks. And she wants to be a part of this restaurant because she thinks that she will have a lot more creative freedom and she thinks that she can make a change. And Carmi is totally amenable to that. And I like seeing him ignite passion in Sydney. I also like his interactions with Marcus, who is an existing employee. And Marcus is, he makes the bread. And the first day that they are restarting service, Marcus is told to make the bread. And Carmi comes up to him and says, it's crumbly. You need to change the way you're doing this. You need to put water in the bottom of the oven and it'll it'll bring a lot more moisture to these buns. And he's like, don't tell me how to do my job. But then he does it anyway. And the buns turn out great. And it ignites like this passion for cooking pastries and cooking cakes. And so they start outsourcing Mm -hmm. the bread so that he can start making these chocolate cakes. But then he gets really into donuts. And um, (laughs) and, and it's so like satisfying because that is what a good mentor should bring to the people that they're training. It should ignite this passion in you and I just found that like really satisfying to see in such a direct way Mm -hmm. and we do see Carmi make mistakes throughout the series like I mentioned before particularly I think that initially Carmi has a hard time like properly delegating tasks and he runs into some issues with that where like controlling things in the kitchen is hard at first because people are resisting the tasks that they're being delegated. In some cases, they're sabotaging each other or sabotaging him. Right. And so that's like really hard. And that's not necessarily on Carmi, but to expect people to just take to that transition immediately is very optimistic. Right. But also... He has a few specific instances where he treats people quite poorly. So one of those people is Marcus. He, when they're in like this high intensity situation, people keep coming up to him and being like, I need all of your attention on me right now. And it's obvious that it's very frustrating. But in that situation, this person is excited about what they're trying to show. And this is like the passion project that they finally perfected. And he will do something mean. It doesn't happen often. He's not a mean person. But in these instances, he didn't handle it properly and he takes accountability. I just thought that Carmi does a good job apologizing to people 
And he does a good job being able to note when he's done something wrong. But I really like the way he deals with mistakes in the kitchen. And there's this one specific conversation that happens early on between Marcus and Carmi, where Marcus is apologizing for something that happened in the kitchen. And he says something along the lines of, it won't happen again. And Carmi says, it will happen again, but not because of who you are as a person. It's just that shit happens. And I really loved that line. That line really resonated with me because it shows that Carmi just understands that these are very like hectic situations and things go wrong. And so it's not like, oh, well, if he fucks up again, he's fired. It's like, I understand that this was a mistake and that you didn't mean to fuck that up. And it's fine that things will get fucked up. But it's just like a very realistic way of looking at failure, of looking at mistakes. And I I thought that that was a very um, positive takeaway from that conversation. Um, Yeah, yeah. I love it when people acknowledge that perfectionism is basically counterproductive Mm -hmm. and not letting... When you don't let failure be an option, you're really doing a disservice to your entire team. For sure. And I, yeah, I think it's the way you deal with minor mistakes is a huge, a huge thing to the people you are working with, especially if you're the leader of that team. Yeah. And I thought that the show, there's this one very short scene um, in the second episode. The second episode basically opens with this flashback scene to Carmi's time in New York working as a sous chef. Yeah. And you get to see his head chef, and it's Joel McHale. Yeah. Playing the scariest role I've ever seen him in. <laughs> um, but basically, in this scene, um, Carmi is working as the sous chef, and he is basically organizing the people under him. They're coming to him to get things checked. And so his chef de partie comes up and has him check a sauce. And he says, no, that sauce is split. You've got to do it again. She does it again. She comes back. He's like, no, it got too hot. It's split again. And Joel McHale's character enters the room and he looks in her pot and just says, why? And sends her home. Um, And then he walks up to Carmi and starts very quietly, very calmly berating him with horrible comments he ends that conversation saying you should just die and it's like a horrible scene of just like workplace abuse that Mm -hmm. is as far as I can tell a very common thing in the industry and I think it's very important that that scene comes up because it gives you insight into Carmi's character and Carmi's grieving. Carmi is grieving his brother who has died by suicide. And I think that it gives you an insight into Carmi's mental state and this very high pressure situation that he's putting himself into trying to dig this restaurant out of a hole. And they're in serious financial trouble. It's like just it seems like there's just this endless hole that they can't get dug out of. And yeah, it just I think it just makes you worry about that character and how he's doing in those moments. It It's very clear that Carmi is taking on this project as a way to process his grief and process not being there for his brother when his brother clearly needed him. And it's like a way of dealing with his guilt, which leads me into my next main topic of processing grief and processing that, uh, that death in the family, because there are three, I mean, not just three people who are grieving this death, but three main people who are grieving this death, and they're grieving in very different ways. So, like I said, Carmi is spending every waking moment in this restaurant trying to dig it out of the hole that it's in, and uh, there's this monologue later in the series where he talks about that very directly, and I think that it's a very well-done monologue, and it it was very emotionally evocative. Then he, his sister, Sugar, is grieving as well. And she is seeking out support systems. She's going to Al-Anon meetings for family members who are uh, struggling, struggling with 
grieving a person who has had an addiction or are currently and actively dealing with family members that are struggling with addiction. And she keeps calling her brother and trying to get him to go to these meetings. And eventually he does. And he finds it very helpful. And I really liked that portrayal of those conversations and kind of normalizing those conversations between family members of saying like, hey, this is really helping me and reaching out to people who you think might need that kind of support was a very good thing to good thing to see. Yeah, I really liked her character. She was a cool a yeah. cool sister. Yeah. And I thought her husband was very funny. I loved him. <laughs> I loved how much everyone hated him because he was like a little dweeb, but he's so cute. I know, but he was so sweet. <laughs> I know. I loved the scene in the car where he's like sleeping between Richie and uh, and Carmi. And he says, thank you for letting me be a part of this family. I know, God, he's so fucking and he's sweet. All I loved up. that guy. I loved that guy. He's so adorable. And then there's Richie, who is kind of falling apart. Like, he's just lost his best friend, and he's very angry. He's lashing out. He's he's the loudest character of the whole mm-hmm. film. He's screaming all the time, and he, he's just really struggling. And he's a very unlikable character at first. And I mean, kind of throughout, but you kind of understand more of where this anger and um, just general aversive state is coming from over time. And he is going through a divorce at this time. And um, there's this really heartbreaking conversation that he has in front of Sydney's character when she is in the car with him. She's driving him somewhere. Yeah. And his daughter is on the phone with him and she's five. And um, you're only hearing the one side of this conversation, but he's like this tough guy. He's like super angry, but then he's like almost in tears during this conversation because his daughter asks like, do you still love me? Like she's scared about going and like starting this new school. And he's like trying to hype her up about starting her new school. And he's like in tears, like, of course I still love you. And um, you like just see that wall break down for just Mm -hmm. a minute. I really like that you get that interaction with him. And you get to see him trying to deal with these battles that he's going through. Yeah, I think Richie might have been my favorite character, period. Because he was so interesting and dynamic in Mm -hmm. that sometimes I hated him, sometimes I loved him and thought he was the best. (laughs) Like, to me, he was not an across-the-board bad Mm -hmm. guy. Like, he had great moments. He had moments where he was right. He had moments, a lot of moments where he was wrong. He was very human. He was very human. And he was, like, there, he's, that's, like, a real guy that exists, I feel like. Like, he just felt extremely real to me. Yeah. And, yeah, I loved moments where he showed tenderness and vulnerability. Because his normal you know, facade, his normal front that he puts up is very, you know, boisterous, masculine, like, fun, charismatic guy. Like, he's front of house for a reason. He's great with the customers. Mm -hmm. He knows everybody. He knows how to finesse people. Mm -hmm. Um, But he doesn't do well, like, taking instruction Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Like, when he undermines other people, that really pisses me off. But he was... He had so much variety in that mm-hmm. character, and I really enjoyed watching him. Um, but yeah, so you're seeing like this variety of of grieving states throughout the family, but it's clear that the people in the restaurant are also grieving his brother's death. And um, Tina has conversations with Carmi where she's like, I hope you know that I really loved your brother. Like, he was really important to me, and... I think that there are lots of just really good moments of people expressing their emotions, very difficult emotions, honestly, and being vulnerable with this, like, new chosen family that mm-hmm. 
that they have. But yeah, I also just had uh, some more general thoughts. Um, I thought the soundtrack was a vibe. Yeah, especially the final, the final needle drop they go out mm-hmm. on. They picked my favorite fucking Radiohead song. <laughs> And yes. I was like, holy shit. The second it started, I was like, holy shit. This is the best choice of all time. Thank you. Yeah. I loved that. Or I just thought it was really cool that it was an accurate representation of what would go on in a kitchen. Um, Because I, after watching the show, went and watched some YouTube videos on the behind the scenes of like, what research they did and stuff like that. And in an interview that Jeremy Allen White did, he said that he went and worked in a Michelin star restaurant to get experience for the role. And I watched a video by Justin Kana, who is a YouTuber. He is is or was a professional chef. I think he leans more towards content creation now, but he used to work in Michelin star restaurants. Um, he worked at the French Laundry. Oh. And uh, he basically goes through the first two episodes of the show and just stops whenever he's like, this is something that is not necessarily something you would pick up on, but uh, this is the norm. Or, like, this is why they're showing you this specific knife. This is why it's important that the knife got dropped on the ground and why he's, like, upset about that. And I just thought that it was a really cool video to, like, just watch him react to all of these different moments and tell tell his experiences. So if you're interested in that, his name is Justin Kana, K-H-A-N-N-A. And I will also put the link for that in the show notes after the fact. But I thought it was really cool. I also thought it was cool that they had Maddie Matheson, as um, a side character. He was the handyman. That was really pleasing. Yeah. Obviously, he was providing some of his culinary expertise as well to the show. And I thought his character was really funny. So I really enjoyed Maddie's character. Same. But yeah, I just thought it was really cool that they had clearly done their homework and made this like very realistic recreation of a of a kitchen and yeah at the end that like final scene left me crying through the entire credits where (laughs) he like looks like it breaks fourth wall i was like crying through the credits on that one so i love that ending that was was so good phenomenal but yeah um and i would also like to take this moment to hand over my belt to (gasps) (laughs) um to jeremy Alan White. I forgot his name in the panic. <laughs> I was like, it's belt time. Holy shit. Um, so Jeremy Allen White now has my belt, and I don't know if he'll have it at the end of the year, but that's when we will do the final award ceremony. So. The final award <laughs> ceremony. Incredible. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Monumental. Yeah, you're definitely not alone. I saw oh, I many, not alone. <laughs> many memes about him specifically yeah. when, during that initial hype wave. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really funny. Yeah. I I could be wrong, but I think he did an interview on the Watch podcast specifically about the bear, and I would highly recommend that. Um, the guys at the Watch, they loved the bear, and they did a couple of interviews with people who who made it and i believe they uh interviewed jeremy for a while so you should check that out if you're interested oh for sure but yeah i thought it was a great show i had a blast and Mm -hmm. i was expecting it to lean more towards the comedy side of the spectrum but it was a little more drama but it had like the perfect amount of comedy for me so yeah there was definitely lots of good funny parts i thought richie was really funny a lot Mm -hmm. um and maddie matheson of course I think my favorite relationship between two people was between Sydney and Carmi because their relationship changed so many Mm -hmm. times over the course of a very short season. But I really liked the dynamic where they were the only two people coming into this this restaurant from a common background where they both had formal training and Mm -hmm. had expectations about how a kitchen should be. And a lot of times it felt like the two of them against everyone else. And I just really liked it when they worked together and had each other's backs. And even when that changed and evolved into something 
different and even better. Um, mm-hmm. I found that very satisfying. I loved, I loved how that relationship took its course throughout that entire season. Oh, for sure. But yeah, I mean, that's all I had on it. It has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which Doesn't I thought it? was fantastic. Um, so I was like, listen, you you can't go wrong with that. So yeah, yeah. Ugh, I just love I just love it when a team pulls together. You know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Ugh, what a feeling. It was really satisfying. And yeah, I cried a lot during the last episode, like happy tears, sad tears, <laughs> all of the tears. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just thought it, it hit its emotional beats very, very well for a show that didn't have very much time to tell a story, you know? It was so, so succinct and efficient. But very evocative. Like, yeah, I really felt packed things. a punch. Yeah, mm-hmm. I felt a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in one of the interviews I listened to, that it was originally going to be a film, and uh. then it became kind of unpacked for uh, the series format that it's in now. So it makes sense that, like, how it is so succinct. Yeah, I'm glad that it had the extra time. Me too. Of being a television show. So yeah, it's very good. It's streaming on Hulu. Um, You should really go, go check it out. I thought it was just, it's one of the best shows I've seen all year. I mean, I would put it under... Our flag means death, but just mm-hmm. barely. Just barely. And I can't wait for the second season. I know. I'm really... I loved the note that they left it on because there's a lot of room for just great stuff to happen. Yes. I, they definitely left the door open for more story, which is exciting. Good pick. Yeah. I'm glad I stuck with it, aside from the uh, immense anxiety it gave me. Yeah. <laughs> the terrible flashbacks. Yeah. I was like, I know it's going to be good. I know it's going to be worth it. Just get through it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like as someone who's never worked in the service industry, I was like, this is stressing me out. I can't imagine what it would be like for somebody who's lived through <laughs> these types of scenarios. So Yeah. I still have nightmares about it. Have I told you about that? I don't think so. Have um, you ever set yeah. your food on fire in your kitchen? no will would do that will would do that he does act out his dream sometimes no i do have nightmares about being in the weeds still and having you know like 20 tables and turning around and you have four more tables being sat and everyone's mad at you and you are trying to catch up on all of your orders and then it just never ends it's the worst dreams the worst dreams yeah it's terrible I still get them now. Some things just never leave you. All right. Are you ready to move on to my piece for this week? Yes. Let's kick it off, Remy. All right. So this week, my favorite thing that I've been listening to has been the podcast Three Bean Salad. (laughs) And if you've been keeping up with my trajectory of the things that have been giving me joy recently. You know I've been very much into Taskmaster and that whole wheelhouse of British comedy. And, you know, sometimes when you find something that makes you happy, you just gotta, like, hold on to it and find some more. (laughs) I'm basically all caught up on Taskmaster the show, so I started delving into more, like, adjacent media. And... In our latest update episode, Kat, I explained to you how upon watching series 11, I very, very firmly decided that now Mike Wozniak is my favorite Taskmaster contestant of all time, and he is one of the three hosts of Three Bean Salad, so that's why I started listening to this pod, and I've really, really been enjoying it, and It has basically made me double down on the decision also to formally announce that Mike Wozniak is now the holder of the belt. Oh my god! I can't believe we're both switching our belts. I can't believe we both had this announcement in the same episode. We didn't (laughs) pre-plan that. Um, There's two passing of the belts in one episode. It's a record. Put it in the history book. (laughs) 
most belts passed. <laughs> I know. I was so excited when you said that because I was That's like, so funny. <laughs> oh, man. Excellent. Yes. But anyway, Mike Wozniak, he's one of the three hosts of Three Bean Salad. Obviously, three's in the title. Um, it's also hosted by Ben Partridge and Henry Parker, and they are all um, people in the UK comedy slash entertainment industry, essentially. And from what I understand, I believe they've been friends for quite some time and have known each other and have a lot of, you know, existing history and rapport. So you're just listening in on three friends talking for most of the the episodes, like three friends talking and joking. And it's a comedy podcast where they all um, talk about one subject for each episode. So the listeners of the pod, they send in suggestions for topics. It can be basically anything. It could be bags or sandwiches or rats or mm-hmm. uh, obscure things as well. Um, I just listened to the one about the Titanic, and that's the main meat of each episode, is them I discussing see. that topic. And they just have really excellent rapport, really excellent improvisational skills. They just constantly, I don't know how they do it, but everything they talk about, they make it interesting, and they make it funny, and they make it essentially so absurd that (laughs) it just becomes hilarious and I basically can't listen to the show at work anymore because it's so funny that (laughs) I cannot not laugh and then I'm just that weird person laughing at their desk and I I can't be that (laughs) I can't do it I have to either like listen in a room where I know I will be alone Mm -hmm. or listen at home because they're, I don't know how they do it, but they're just so fucking funny. Mm-hmm. I will say there is a bit of a learning curve distinguishing their voices at first. Mm. I can obviously pick out Mike Wozniak because I already knew what he sounded like from watching him on Taskmaster. And now with experience, I can correctly identify Ben and Henry as well. But um, yeah, it's just such a such a treat. And one of the most essential parts of the show is that a lot of it is cumulative in jokes, essentially, where this is one podcast where I would say if you're interested in listening to it, you almost have to start with episode one because (laughs) almost all of the content is referential to previous content. And all of the jokes and the segments will not make sense if you just start at the end or in the middle or anywhere else. You you have to start at the beginning. And that's because they have all of these different segments that emerge, which then Ben Partridge makes them their own musical jingle to introduce the segment. And I don't know how he does it, but he makes the best, most hilarious jingles for these segments that basically are completely absurd. And uh, I don't know how he does it, but they're excellent. And they're extra excellent because for every new jingle that he makes when they realize that they need to make a new segment because they keep talking about the same topic throughout all these different episodes, he'll source two different music genres from Mike and Henry, and they, of course, try to give him the most, like, incompatible <laughs> ones possible. But he brings it together every time, and he's just a master. He, That's so fun. He crushes it. And I, like, get excited for these subjects to come up so that they will play the jingle. <laughs> oh, I bet there's, like, YouTube compilations of all of the jingles. Yes, there is. I was watching it before we recorded today. Because I wanted to make sure mm-hmm. I had the names right. Ah, uh, because I wanted to list my top three jingles that just like make me so happy to hear. Um, the first one is one that takes place in every episode because it's the jingle they play right before they're announcing the topic for that episode. Because 
Um, it's not pre-selected. They like wait till they've begun recording and then Ben will randomly generate a number and that corresponds to like the topic on the spreadsheet mm-hmm. of listener suggested topics. And so that's when they play the bean machine jingle <laughs> when the bean machine is selecting the topic essentially. <laughs> so that's great. Love that tune. It's fantastic. And it gets stuck in my head all the time, and I love it. <laughs> um, my next favorite jingle, jingle number two, is for the Pompidou section, which is basically the table talk section, but they call it the Pompidou section for reasons that you just have to listen to the show to understand. But it has a just great tune associated with it. Mm-hmm. And my... Number three jingle is the America jingle, which is whenever they talk about something pertaining to the United States. And I love this one because they're they're all British dudes, I think in their 40s and 50s. And when they talk about the United States, <laughs> it is just incredible. Um, I love I love hearing their perspective <laughs> on what. Americans do and think about these different topics and every time the US comes up it's just so funny to hear what these guys in the UK think mm-hmm. and it's like really it's hilarious every time I can't recommend it enough oh man it's so good so yeah the jingle for the US is just fucking insane <laughs> um, just like us yeah it's all deserved. It's great. <laughs> but yeah, I wish I could describe it, but it's just really funny and delightful and mm-hmm. n- never serious. It's all jokes and it just makes me laugh so consistently and it just makes me so happy. I, I love hearing the anecdotes that they tell and talking about their pets. There's a lot of talk of their pets, their dogs and cats and whatnot. And God, it's all just such a joy getting these small insights into their lives and hearing them riff on stuff because none of the, since the the topic is generated on the spot, they don't have any like notes or prep. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's just like, like improv comedy podcast. Exactly. It's exactly that. But they just do such a good job of yes anding each other that the things they come up with are just fucking great. Oh, yeah. Another thing I wanted to say is that they all also are on the Beef and Dairy Network podcast, oh. which is uh, a Max Fun mm-hmm. pod. I think it's technically Ben Partridge's, but Mike and Henry are also on it, I think, fairly regularly. Mm-hmm. So if you like that, then I would definitely recommend Three Bean Salad um, because it's the same people. I always hear their ads and it always gets me because the ad is like so serious. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, I'm not listening to like an ad for milk. I'm listening to (laughs) an ad for a podcast. That's funny. Yeah. It's very convincing. I think um, at least a couple of them do also do voiceover work for ads. So yeah, yeah, very proficient, broad broadcasters i Uh guess you could say yeah um but yeah if you like just really delightful light-hearted improv among friends then this is a really nice um nice pod to listen to while you're doing stuff Mm -hmm. and you can get insight into just a bunch of like obscure UK things like obscure UK condiments. I feel like I know a lot about their condiments now. <laughs> like and what? oh god, this weird like pickle condiment. I wish I could remember <laughs> what it was called. I don't remember offhand. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole episode on condiments, but once something's mentioned once, it always comes up like in 20 uh-huh. subsequent episodes. So that pickle condiment comes up a lot. Huh. Um, there's a recurring conversation about Snyder's of Hanover, the pretzel brand. Okay. From the United States. It's from Pennsylvania, actually. <laughs> and, yeah, there's a lot of just 
hearing them talk about U.S. brands and mm-hmm. U.S. products is just fucking hilarious. <laughs> and I don't know. I love it. And I'm about, I want to say I'm about halfway through the catalog mm-hmm. of existing episodes. It began, they began releasing episodes in April of 2021. So it oh. hasn't been going on a terribly long time. And they do take breaks between serieses. So I want to say there's about 60 available episodes right okay. now. So they're just really easy to listen to. And I think once I catch up to, you know, the contemporary episodes, I want to try to think of some topics to uh, suggest because you can just email them and mm-hmm. they add your topic suggestion to the list. Oh, it just gets added. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it gets thrown into the bean machine and mm-hmm. it randomly selects one. Ooh. And they will often attribute the topic to like the person that sent it in. So mm-hmm. that's really fun. And oh, as that's like the main chunk of each episode, but then there's also a very substantial chunk of reading and responding to listener mail which is equally as entertaining as the, you know, subject portion of the program because they have very active, like, correspondence and ongoing... (laughs) They have, like, ongoing feuds with cafes and there's all kinds of things happening. I don't know how they do it, but they've cultivated a very funny fan base and... Their correspondence is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is a corrections and omissions oriented because they're coming in with no notes. There's a lot of mistakes they have to go back and correct as well. So that's oh, always fun. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. They they even have like an arch villain character that routinely emails them. The, the show <laughs> has it all. I, I don't know that. how they do it. It's so good. That's so funny. I have to start listening to this. I've been looking for a new podcast because I'm like all caught up on all my other ones. Yes. So I've been like hoping to find another podcast to like start binging. Mm -hmm. Definitely check out Three Bean Salad. You must start at the beginning or nothing will make sense. (laughs) But once you get rolling, I have three episodes that have been, I think, my favorite so far. Mm -hmm. They are... The episode about magic, the the episode about romance, and the episode about islands. So, so far, those have been my faves from what I've listened to. And, yeah, I mean, I just can't, I can't recommend it enough. Hopefully you find it at least comprehensible, like, sorting out who is speaking like, their voices are distinct, but if you don't have, like, a face to match the name to, it can be a little, oh, man. But, yeah, it's great. Just, like, a, a bunch of funny pals to hang out with. For sure. Yeah. Ooh, they did a live show. They did a live Three Bean podcast last summer. So, I think that, I don't know if it was part of, like, the London Podcast Festival or something else, but I'm really hoping one day they might do a live show in the States. And if Wouldn't so... Wouldn't it be fun if we got to go to podcast conventions someday? Dude, <laughs> I would die. That would be so great. Oh, it would be so fun. The dream. I was thinking the other day that if... When I eventually finish this job that I currently have, I was mm-hmm. like, maybe I'll just freelance edit. Uh, people's podcasts instead Uh, because I really like that and what if I could get paid to listen to podcasts and edit them you definitely can there is a there's I would be a market for that that. yeah Um, especially after the experience that I have uh like by the time I wrap up this job right Mm -hmm. yeah like I'll have so much experience. I'll have like two years experience editing podcasts. So I was like, that's an excellent idea. I want to do that so badly. Um, Maybe just as like a temporary thing, maybe just as like a side hustle, but like, I think it would be really cool. And I, this is my advertisement. Please email friend diagram (laughs) if you're interested. 
If you're interested in cats editing services, please contact us. <laughs> I know. I'm always like contemplating making a break for it. <laughs> I just don't have a sensible place to run to yet. How has editing on the book been going? It's been going okay. I decided to take a week to like cultivate resources about how to go about the editing process. And yeah. I found some really good writing pods actually that have great advice about the writing process in general. Oh. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited to make it better. Yeah, for sure. Did you get mail from me this week? Ooh, when was the last time I checked the mail? You know, here's the thing. Will has the mail key, which means we ah. check the mail once a month when I demand to use the mail key. <laughs> why does he have the mail key if he's not going to check it? He insisted that he have it. I don't know why I acquiesced. It was a huge mistake on my part. <laughs> Steal it. Um, anyways, oh, yeah. I sent you mail. Um, that's unrelated, but... Um, I think that's all I have on three bean salad. I do really hope you check it out, though. Yes, I, I, I will. I think you'd really like it. I have um, a lot of uh, just mindless tasks that I have to do all day, every day. So, <laughs> well, I was going to say this week, but it's just every week. It's all yeah. the time. Yeah. So it'll be nice to have something that doesn't require the use of my eyes. Like what I want to do is watch Taskmaster, but I have to use my eyes to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Very disappointing. Um are we ready to do our overlaps? Yes, let's do the friend diagram. What friend diagram? What do these two things we love have in common? Um we both passed the belt. Yeah. That's that's a pretty easy one. That's the headline. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's gonna have to go in the show notes. Who's got the belts now? Oh my god, a double belt switch. Uh, and I mean, they're both, like, comedy media. They're they're both, like, mm -hmm. in some way related to comedy and comedians. Yeah. Um, I have down, there's, like, a lot of great camaraderie and teamwork. Mm -hmm, for at sure play, at the core of everything that's happening in both of these and yeah. a shared history because a lot of the people on the bear you know your carmy's coming into a, a place with a lot of shared history and obviously mm -hmm. he's coming in with the shared history amongst his family mm -hmm. and that colors all of his interactions and makes the story very rich from the start Oh, for sure. And I think the shared history between the three hosts of Three Bean Salad also add a richness to the comedy because you can tell that they, um, they've known each other for a long time and there's a lot of great, just great anecdotes and fun and fun mm -hmm. times that are brought to the discussion from that history. Mm -hmm. Also a lot of great tunes. <laughs> so many great tunes. Do you think we can someday get famous and they will make us a tune for our friend diagram portion? Dude, I would <laughs> fucking die if Ben Partridge made us a jingle for the friend diagram portion. I was thinking about that today um, because they're just so effective. Like, uh -huh. It's a they transition. Make, they, it's a great transition it calls attention to the format of the pod mm -hmm. like we have a distinct format and that would just make it so obvious like it's the friend diagram portion mm -hmm. you know and it would just i know it would just be like a fucking killer jingle it would be so good <laughs> so yeah. yeah if we get famous and we go to a podcast convention and three bean salad and or beef and dairy are there I will find on Partridge and be like, I'll do anything for you to make a jingle for us. <laughs> please. Please. He's so good. I don't know how he fucking does it. It's incredible. Incredible skill. Yeah. And they're funny. Thanks for joining us this week on Friend Diagram. Thank you to Tyler Seek for the creation of our intro and outro music. Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? 
let us know at friendiagrampod at gmail.com and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice, and we'll see you back here same place next week. Bye for now.